You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. We know what they say, early bird gets the worm. So I had five copies of one of my favorite books of all time that you all heard about about uh, probably a little over a month ago, Graduate Sunday, Studies in the Sermon on the Mount. I had them on the next steps table, and they are all gone. So I had these extra, extra books, and I thought, well, I'll bless you guys with these books because you might recall, if you were here for Graduate Sunday, probably be one of my top three books of all time that's had an impact on me. And it's quite the book, very large and, and small print. But D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he has a way of just clearly explaining uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And, you know, you have certain writers and preachers maybe that you really connect with and uh, never got to. I actually have some of his uh, recordings of sermons, but... Um, his writing is always really, really connected with me. So I'm sorry that you all missed out on the book, but I will take an opportunity to show you again so that you can order it if you would like. It's not one you sit down and read and finish. It's one you chew on and you put it up and you come back to it a, a year later or months later and you just kind of work your way uh, through the Sermon on the Mount. Wonderful book uh, that's been a blessing to me. So this morning, as you probably guessed, we're going to be in the Sermon on the Mount and uh, looking forward to that this time with you all. Well, I have, a, I have a question for you all to consider, and that question is this. It may seem a little hokey, but consider it. How do you become and remain happy? Whether you realize it or not, it's something we subconsciously, I think, think about and uh, work from uh, throughout our life. I mean, no doubt, I think this is probably one of the greatest quests of humanity. Everyone wants to know how to be happy, and they want to remain happy. Uh, many different ways people will tell you to be happy, that you can be happy. Maybe it's through a job. You just need the right job. Maybe it's through a spouse. You need to find the right spouse. Maybe it's, well, once you have kids. It might be, well, you need to travel more. Or if you just had that extra job, that extra income, or maybe you need to take some leisure time. You need to pick up, pick up some hobbies. We could go on and on that things you could try to do to be happy. I, I did a little bit of Googling, and I found all kind of like happiness quizzes. And I guess in a way, I'm going to have a bit of a happiness quiz this morning, but it's not the one you're likely going to find on, on Google. But it's true. Yes, you may find happiness in a job for a bit, but we all know that Monday will roll around, and you won't always look forward to Monday. Or there might come a time that you aren't getting along with coworkers. There's going to be conflicts. Like, it's only going to be temporary. Maybe you can find some happiness in friendships, but we know eventually they will find other friends, and, well, other plans are going to be made, and the friendships will eventually start to fade over time at some level, I imagine. We know you, yes, can find happiness in family, but you will one day grow apart in age and maybe by distance as well. You may find happiness in travel, but it might cost more money than you have. Incomes can be lost, and, well, hobbies, you might just not be able to afford the time that they, that they require. Things may give happiness in this world for a little bit of time, but eventually you're going to find it starts to fade, and you might start looking to scratch that itch from someplace else. So how is it, then, that we can find true and lasting happiness? Well, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says in this book, if you want to be happy, the Sermon on the Mount is the way. 
you guys don't have the answer. <laughs> the Sermon on the Mount is the way to be happy. I have found this to be true. And this message has spoken to me over the last couple of days. If you can call a knife to the heart as speaking to you, but I mean, it's really moved me and convicted me and reminded me of my empty quest for happiness. This message is for you. It's for the church. Jesus wrote the Sermon on the Mount as is the whole Bible written for Christians. So the sermon is written for you. Jesus says that he spoke this sermon to his disciples. No, not the 12 disciples. This thing is going to drive me insane. I need one of those that like loops around, but too late to try that now. Um, I'm going to keep trying to adjust it and not focus on it. But we're not talking about just the 12 disciples that were closest to Jesus. Jesus, he called up all those who were following him at the time, the crowds, to speak to them this sermon. And we're looking at the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, one that you will know of as the Beatitudes. So if you're thinking this morning, man, I just want to be happy. Whether you've used that phrasing or not, maybe you know that's what your heart's been longing for over this, this last week, month, maybe even years. I want you to know that Jesus tells us how to live a life that is blessed. That is, this is how to live a life that is happy. The word beatitude literally means true blessedness. So we could also say true happiness. And if you're like me, I need to be reminded that my happiness isn't circumstantial. This doesn't come from that list of things I just listed a bit ago. Because I think you might be with me. We've tried a lot of those things, and they fade away. Happiness isn't circumstantial, but happiness is spiritual. It's spiritual, but it doesn't come from our achieving for God. That's not how we get to be happy. Let me, let me do these things for God. Instead, our happiness comes by surrendering to God. I love how God just kind of flips everything upside down than what we would normally think or try to do. It's almost like he makes the impossible possible. Like anybody can do this. Not everyone can achieve. I know that I can't achieve whenever it comes to things of God. Now surrender, <laughs> that's another story. So happiness doesn't come by our achieving, but our surrendering. And my prayer is this morning that all of you will discover or at least be reminded, more likely, of how you can have true happiness. The word beatitude, true blessedness, true happiness. So I asked you a moment ago to consider a question, how to become and then remain happy. So let me ask you maybe a more personal question to think about. Are you happy? Just how you become and remain happy, but are you right now, this morning, this week, are you happy? This sermon was preached, as I said, to Jesus' disciples. And his aim in this sermon is to show his disciples how his kingdom people live. He's saying, if you follow me, then you have surrendered to the rule of God's kingdom. And this is what your life will look like if you follow me. This is how those who belong to God's kingdom live. And God's kingdom is present wherever it is that God rules. So if God is ruling your heart, therefore ruling your life, then 
God's kingdom is present even within you. It pours out from you. Therefore, God's kingdom has come. For many, it is coming as they believe. And for us all, it will one day completely and finally have come. But as you'll see in our text today, Jesus, he begins describing the life of his followers, those who have surrendered to the rule of God. He doesn't describe them by what they do. This is, this is how they do this. This is how they say that. This is what they do when this happens. Jesus doesn't describe them by what they do. Now, later in the sermon, he's going to talk about things that his followers do. But Jesus begins his sermon by describing who they are. He says, this, this is who my followers are. He doesn't begin with their conduct. Jesus says, this is the character of my followers. And then eventually he will get to their conduct. So we're going to see today that our happiness comes from who we are. It doesn't come from what we do. I hope for some of you that just allows you to exhale a bit and relax. And you might say, well, Ricky, how do I change who I am? How is that supposed to happen? Because I I know how to do, but I don't know how to change who I am. I want you to remember our happiness doesn't come by our achieving for God, but it comes through our surrendering to God. Therefore, God is the one who makes the change in you through your surrender to his rule. You simply have to stop trying to achieve and surrender to what he's doing and live by his ways, in which he's saying, this is how my kingdom people live, because this is who they are as he shows us in the Beatitudes. Surrender, that's the way into God's kingdom. Many of you might remember in 2016, the Catholic Church canonized Mother Teresa. She became Saint Mother Teresa. Now, to be a saint, your life is scrutinized. They look at your writings, they look at your your intercession, your prayers is their proof of miracles that have come about through your prayers. It's quite a process. But what if I were to tell you this morning, if you are under God's rule, that Mother Teresa is no more a saint than you are? Now, for some of you, that may make you uncomfortable. might even make you shudder. And that might be because you know who you are. You know what you have done. You know your failures. If that's the case, might I suggest that your assurance of salvation might be in your achieving for God more than your surrendering to God. The Catholic Church canonizes people. The Bible doesn't canonize people. Paul calls all who are part of God's kingdom saints. That's what he says to the Corinthians. So I want you to know that whenever we read the Beatitudes this morning, we're not just talking about this is how Mother Teresa lived. We're not just talking about this This is for the Billy Grahams or the the Hudson Taylors. No, Jesus is saying "These, these things are for those who are my people, my disciples, my followers under the rule of God. This is how they live. These are the attitudes. These are the characteristics that we are to surrender and to conform to throughout our lives as disciples of Jesus. So I'll ask again, are you happy? If not, then hear the Beatitudes this morning. Receive and be reminded of Perhaps surrender to the rule of God in your life. So due to a limited 
time today with, with my long prayer time, and then we're going to have the Lord's Supper here in a bit. I'm not going to ask you to stand and uh, read through our passage this morning. I'm going to just read through our passage as we take our, our time to get through it verse by verse. So you can remain seated, and I'm going to begin our time by reading Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, the beginning of Jesus' sermon. Hear the word of the Lord. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Permission to sit while you preach, but that's not the focus. That's not the point. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, to be poor in spirit is to acknowledge your spiritual poverty. For some of you, that might be tough. For most of you, you know it already. But I love how Jesus begins his sermon. Jesus says, before we go any further, he sits down. The first thing he wants you to know, happy are those who know they're spiritually bankrupt before God. That's the first key to unlock the door. You have to come to God with nothing, no proof of your innocence, no proof of your achievements, no case for your righteousness. Have you admitted that you have no hope of heaven if it weren't for Jesus? Disciples of Jesus know that they're spiritually poor. They're spiritually hopeless if it weren't for Jesus. So from verse 3, see that happy are those who admit their need for Jesus. Have you admitted your need for Jesus? You see, for some of you, you may think that you deserve heaven because of what you do or what you do not do. Some of you might think you deserve heaven because who you are or who you're not, clearly. That's going to be the temptation. We're tempted to think on these externals because in our life, in our world, we know the, the richest, the prettiest, the most influential, the most popular, they're the ones who get the most. They're the ones who get the top spot. They're the ones who are the happiest, right? That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says the one who knows he has no hope of heaven, if it weren't for Jesus, they are the ones who experience true happiness. For many of you who have been left out, Jesus opens wide his arms to receive you if you admit your need of him. The kingdom of God's not for those who are most confident in their goodness. It's not for those who are confident in their best effort. The kingdom of God is for those who admit their failure. It's for those who admit their weakness. It's for those who know that they are spiritually bankrupt and they have no hope of heaven if it weren't for Jesus. They know they deserve the wrath of God for their sins. Listen, guys, you'll miss heaven if you think you're either too bad for heaven or too good for heaven. Because many I know think there's no way Jesus can pick, cover my sins. There's no way, no matter what he has done, compared to what I have done, what I have thought, what I have said, there is no way. You'll miss heaven, though, if you think you're either too bad or if you think you're too good. Both are lies. The spiritually bankrupt, they admit their need for Jesus. Those who are poor in spirit admit there's no way to God without Jesus. 
So I pray today, if you have yet to take this first step, to be spiritually poor, to admit your need of Jesus, then I pray that you'll bow your head today at some point and that you will admit your need for him. And when you do, you'll open your eyes and you'll find yourself experiencing a new reality of true, lasting, eternal happiness. Here, verse four. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, this attitude may sound a bit like a bummer, happy are those who are unhappy. That's not, that's not what, what, what Jesus is saying here. But we know that there are things that mourn the heart of God. And my prayer is that all of us, as children of God, if you are a child of God, as we surrender under the rule of God, that well, we then begin to mourn the things that mourn the heart of God. We know our sin mourns the heart of God. We begin to mourn our sin and the effects of our sin. If you haven't lived long enough, you will to see that your sin affects those you love. Don't mourn your heart. You'll see that other sin affect you. And that it mourns the heart of God. Because Satan's desire is to hurt all those who God loves. And we see the effects of sin in our lives. We see the effects of sin on our society. And it should mourn us. Blessed are those who mourn. Happy are those who mourn sin because they are comforted. How, though? How can we be happy if we're mourning? Like, how does this make sense? Because as we mourn, God comforts us. And as we mourn, we don't mourn as those with no hope because we know that Satan, we know that sin hasn't written the end of the story. As we mourn, we can trust God because we are surrendered to God and we know that whatever he allows or doesn't allow, he is God. And his comfort is not only for the future, but his comfort begins now. And that's what I love. Jesus gives us these benefits now. He's with us. He empowers us because it's not natural to live these ways. It's not natural. You know this. This is supernatural. This is spirit-empowered living. For those who have surrendered to his kingdom, he enables us to be comforted even as we mourn, to be happy even as we mourn. Gives us hope now and for all of eternity. Here, verse 5. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Wow. To be meek is to be humble. It means we trust God will do what's best. The meek, the meek doesn't go to God and say, well, that's not fair that I didn't get this. Now, maybe they do, but then they know that's not true. They repent. It's this, 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 this lifelong life of sanctification that's happening, happening inside of us. We, we, we know that we need to trust God over ourselves. We don't tell God what's fair and what's not fair. We don't say, God, it's not fair that they got the job whenever I'm most qualified. Or, God, it's not fair that it's July 2nd and everybody else is at the beach and I'm not. No, I'm just kidding. See, this has really convicted me this week, and that's one of the ways. Like, we don't tell God it's not fair that they got the life I wanted. They don't have to work. I have to work. We could just keep going and going for whatever it is for you that you're tempted to tell God what's fair and what's not fair, not the meek. Happy are those who trust God over themselves. The world's not content 
It's going to demand more and more of their own rights. That's not how the Christian lives. For those who trust God over themselves, they learn to be content. The world wants to gain everything while losing nothing, and yet they will end up losing everything and gaining nothing. But not for the Christian. The Christian, no. The meek trust God. And even if it means they lose everything, they know that in the end they will inherit the earth. That's quite a statement we have there. I think that's quite a deal. Happy are those who trust God over themselves. Verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. What is it that you want the most? Anybody have their Christmas list going already? Just me. All right. Oh, I thought I saw a hand, but no, Alyssa was just waving a bulletin. It's just me. I keep my Christmas list going all year round because when January rolls around, I just mark out 2023, put 2024. We just keep it going. I'm not saying I don't get what I want for Christmas. I'm just saying I want a lot, and, you know, so I just keep it going at all times. But seriously, though, here's the deal. Ask the world what they want more than anything. You're going to get several answers. Probably a lot of the answers that go back to what I began with different circumstantial happiness things that we think will make us happy. But ask the meek, ask those who have surrendered their life to God's rule what they want more than anything, and their answers will be in line with what God wants. Ultimately, what God wants is what we want. Let me ask you, do you want what God wants? For some of you, that might be a new thought. No matter even how old you are, it is not too late for you to ask God, what is it that you want with me, God? What is it you want me to do? Maybe you haven't really thought to ask God what he wants. Happy are those who want what God wants. One of the best feelings in the world is if I happen to have an hour or have an afternoon and to ask my family what it is they want to do, or my kids, and they say, whatever you want to do, Dad, then I know they just want to be with me. That's, that's enough. We'll do whatever because just throw it in. We just want to spend time together. As long as they're with me, that makes me feel so loved, and I imagine God will feel the same way. God, whatever it is you want, as long as I'm with you, as long as you're with me, whatever it is that you want. Do you want what God wants? If you've never asked that, I dare you to ask him what he wants with you. What does he want you to do that will probably require you to trust him? Let's be willing to say yes to God, to say whatever you want, Father. Our next verse, verse 7, says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, I'm sure you know mercy is not getting what you deserve. So to show mercy to someone is to treat them better than they deserve. I know this is difficult for some of you. Difficult for some more than others, depending how the Lord has made you. We cannot receive the full mercy of God unless we repent. And can we repent if we refuse to extend mercy toward others? Let me say that again. We cannot receive the full mercy of God unless we repent. 
No doubt he shows mercy to all, general mercy to all, but to not be in hell as we deserve, to receive the full mercy of God, and yet to not repent of our sins. Are we in withholding mercy from others? Can we say that we are surrendered to the rule of God? Happy are those who are merciful. Why? Because we know what we deserve. And we know how God has treated us. We know that there's nothing held between us and God as a child of God. There is nothing that keeps us separate. But man, it can be hard for us to not hold some grudges. I'm sure you've heard it said before. I've heard it said that being bitter against someone, you know, holding a grudge is like drinking poison, hoping it will kill them. It's going to kill you instead. Do you pray for others? Do you go out of your way to help others? Is God leading you to show someone mercy right now who's in your life? Is God leading you to forgive someone? That may be the case for some of you. For some of you, there's no telling what God might still have for you, but yet you can't get over what someone has done for you and you're withholding mercy. Let me ask you, aren't you glad that God is merciful? Man, how can we withhold it from others? Now, I'm not saying you don't learn some boundaries. You don't, you don't learn to draw some lines because you've, you've been burned before. But what I am saying is that God is merciful. And so are his disciples. Happy are those who are merciful. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, news alert, I don't know what's inside your heart. I don't know what's inside your mind. I don't know what's between you and God. You could, you could fool anyone you want. You could definitely fool me. You, could, you can fool spouses. You can fool best friends. You, only God knows what is inside of you, deep inside of you. So let me ask you, who are you when no one is around? What is it you're putting into your mind? What do you dwell on? What do you open up your mind to, whether it be books, television, whether it be your phone, what you listen to? the conversations you have, maybe. What is it that you let in your mind and your heart? Happy are those who love what is pure. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. How do you love what is pure? How to do this? Well, to begin with, by knowing and loving the God of the Bible. The Bible has been written to us, not to answer all of our questions, but to reveal to us the God of the Bible. And when we know the God of the Bible and we, we, we trust in the God of the Bible, we give our lives to the God of the Bible to rule, then we don't have to have all of our questions answered because we surrender to him in his ways and we trust him. And as we trust him, we know him and trust him and know him and love him and love him. And then we surround our lives with people who love him and also build their life around the Bible. A Come to church together. A good place to start is go to home group together, which will all resume after Labor Day. But for some of you, you might have to empty some things out of your heart and mind that's been occupying space there. And you have to push them out with things of God, things that are pure to push out the impure. For some of you, that might mean a new friends. That might even mean, mean a new job. Do you want to see God if so, then desire a pure heart. And if you desire a pure heart, God will give you a pure heart. But you have to be willing to surrender. 
to surrender the real estate that you might have laid claim to for things that aren't pure inside your heart and mind for some time. Happy are those who love what is pure. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. No elbowing in here. But some of you, maybe you always find yourself in conflict. Again, for some, that's more easier than others. But those who surrender to God's rule, disciples of Jesus, they make peace. Happy are those who make peace. Jesus was the ultimate peacemaker, bringing peace between us and God. There's no way for sinful man to be in the presence of a righteous, holy God. There's this, there's this chasm. How? Through Jesus, who made peace between God and man. We too, as followers of Jesus, should make peace. Whether it be the relationships we find ourselves in, whether it be the conversations we find ourselves in. But for some, the temptation is to gossip. It's to slander. What are you known for? When you walk up, when you join in, is it to cause dissension and strife? Or is it to pour water on a fire and to make peace? Happy are those who make peace. And lastly, three verses, verses 10 through 12, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Lastly, happy are those who suffer for following Jesus. Is following Jesus costing you anything? Jesus was despised and rejected, and we follow him. We should expect nothing less but to be despised and rejected. Jesus was persecuted. We should expect nothing less that we too at some level will be persecuted. If you follow the Beatitudes, if you surrender your life, to the attitudes and the characteristics and conform to the Beatitudes as those who surrender to the rule of God do, then your life will be changed and you will stand out in the world. At the very least, you will have to give up some things in the world. It'll cost you something. Does following Jesus cost you anything? It may cost you the world, but it gains you heaven. As I said earlier, some of you may think you're too good and don't need Jesus. Maybe, maybe you simply think Jesus is going to chip in at the end for what you can't make up. He's going to pick up where you're lacking. But Jesus says, no. No. Those who surrender to my rule, they must come waving a white flag. They must be completely spiritually bankrupt, bringing nothing to the table. They must admit their complete dependence on Jesus alone for their salvation, knowing that they can't stand before a perfect God, no matter how big or no matter how little their sin. Guilty is the verdict that will be given should they stand before a righteous God. But then they hear the good news of Jesus, of his perfect life lived in their place and him taking the punishment that they deserve. And they receive Jesus' life 
They receive Jesus' death in their place, and they receive the gift of eternal life that Jesus accomplished for us through the resurrection. And they open up their hands with the empty hands of faith. They receive what only can be given because they're bankrupt. They're spiritually poor, and they surrender to the rule of God. And guys, when you realize your need of Jesus and what he gave up for you, it's at that moment that you begin mourning your sin because you know what's in your heart and mind. You mourn your sin because you realize what God, how he still loves you and how he made a way for you to be with him even though you have done the things and thought the things and said the things that you have done. And when you realize this, you mourn your sin and you respond to God by saying, I am yours. You love me still and have given me eternal life. Whatever you want is what I want. I am yours. And then you start caring for those who God cares for. And you'll find that you're becoming more and more merciful. You'll see that God actually is changing you from the inside out. And you're beginning to love, not the things of the world, but you're beginning to love what God loves. You find that he's making your heart pure. Guys, to be a disciple is to be like Jesus, who made peace. And then you begin finding that you want to make peace. You bring peace to the conversations. You bring peace to the relationships. However, you'll see quickly, not everyone is going to like this. They're going to feel condemned. They're going to feel judged even by your presence. And you'll be persecuted. You'll suffer. You'll be ridiculed. And you say, let come what may. We're okay with it because while the world rejects us, God has accepted us. And while we lose the world, we gain the kingdom of God. There's no losing for those who surrender to the rule of God. So I'm asking you how we began. Are you happy this morning? If not, may I ask, have you surrendered to the rule of God? Because if you've yet to become a disciple of Jesus, then will you surrender today to his rule? And with his disciples and with your brothers and sisters in Christ in this room, you will begin experiencing true happiness as described in the Beatitudes true happiness, you experience them now and for all of eternity. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.